you doing today? All right, after that intro, I either want to throw on a cape and go save the world or grab some popcorn and settle in. I'm not quite sure which. And for those of you who are joining us through the live stream, we just watched the opening theme for the Marvel Cinematic Universe with all the trumpet fanfare and seeing images of all these superheroes of Iron Man and the Hulk, Captain America, Black Panther, all of those. And that really sets the stage for what we're going to talk about today. And I don't know about you, but I grew up loving superheroes. In fact, uh, what we just saw was Marvel there, and there's always, in comics, there's been a kind of a big battle between DC Comics and Marvel Comics. Uh, anybody, uh, this interactive segment here, anyone here a DC person? Anyone? Anyone Marvel? Like, yeah, we got some, uh, you know. With the Marvel Cinematic Universe that came out in 2008 with Iron Man, we've kind of been siding that way, and I, I love Marvel. As a kid, I grew up watching the Justice League cartoon. Some of you might remember that. Or the, the uh, Adam West Batman with a bang, pow, you know, all that kind of stuff. I had a cape, and there's the little uh, um, debate between Batman versus Superman, right? Who's better? I had a Superman cape as a little boy that I wore everywhere. There might just be a picture of me wearing the Superman cape, shorts, and cowboy boots, and nothing else, and I'm ready to save the world. And uh, I, I didn't want to post that up there for fear of breaking any screens or anything like that. But I loved superheroes. And uh, in fact, as I, as I grew up and I watched all my Saturday morning cartoons, and you new kids are like, what are Saturday morning cartoons? What are, you, know? Um, you know, I love shows like He-Man and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, we just have this fascination with superheroes and superpowers, right? He-Man, he draws that sword and he says, by the power of Skull," and he is transformed and his cowardly cat, kitten, is transformed into a roaring lion, right? And somehow these uh, ninja turtles were these turtles that got superpowers somehow and grew and could talk and man, somehow I loved them back then, right? And even before then, I remember watching... Um, cartoons of Popeye the Sailor Man, right? And, uh, you know, he, he's weak and, he's, and he needs to protect olive oil. And so whenever something bad is coming, he would open up that can of spinach and somehow he'd be able to squeeze that can and pop right into his mouth and his arms would get really big and he'd just whap the bad guys, right? We have a fascination with superheroes and superpower as a culture, and even beyond just our culture, if you want to even go all the way back to mythology with Gilgamesh and Perseus and Odysseus and Hercules, humanity has had this fascination with superpowers, super people, people who can rise above the struggles of this day, right? I mean, one of the most common ice-breaker questions out there, if you've ever been in a small group, is if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I think super speed is the correct answer, but that's just me. I know some, some of you are thinking invisibility or flight or whatnot. But if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why would you need it? What do you need to overcome? What do you need to battle? Because when you think about it, we long for superheroes because we know that there are struggles in this world that by our own ability, we can't overcome. Right? We long for someone or something to come in 
and to fix our situations, to get rid of our failures, to conquer injustice, to save the world, to save us. We don't always like to admit that, but that's what we're longing for. That's what we're looking for. It's one of the reasons why Marvel, the MCU, since 2008, has become such a huge hit with dozens of movies. We need superheroes for the hardships, the struggles, the injustice, the crime, our brokenness, and just straight-up evil in this world. And so... In our youth, we look to superheroes, and maybe even in our adulthood. I mean, I'm someone who has God's Jedi written on my license plate. There's something about Star Wars and being a Jedi and being able to use the Force to conquer evil, right? As we tend to grow up, though, we tend to leave those childhood fantasies aside. We realize that superheroes don't exist, and so we try to gain power so that we can conquer our struggles in life. And whether that is through money, through knowledge, the power of Google, power of academics, whether it is through our health, whether it's through our position in our careers, or just having influence or politics, Or maybe we have just changed our childhood fantasies to more realistic superheroes and whether that would be our uh, idols of celebrities or company CEOs or even the government, dare I say, that we look to to save us, to get us out of our predicaments. Our culture, our culture, and if you think about it, you've probably grown up this way because you live in this culture, we praise the strong the smart, the successful. We strive to be better than who we are, right? We strive to be stronger and smarter and better. This culture preaches survival of the fittest, doesn't it? Whether that's in your work area or just in your general life, I have to be stronger. We lean into our strengths. We try to develop ourselves to be stronger. And what do we do with our weaknesses? We run from them. We hide from them. We try to bury them or get better at them so they're not weaknesses anymore. We don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to sit in those hard places in our life. We are embarrassed about our mistakes our mess-ups, our downright sins. We want to be strong. We want to survive. We want to conquer. In the scripture verse today, we see Paul talking about kind of who he was and how he could boast of himself. And Paul, if you don't know anything about Paul, Paul was very intelligent He was one of the leaders in his community. He had the position, he had the influence, he had the knowledge, he had the power. And then he met Jesus and gave all that up to follow him. And so he goes on to say, he says, says, this is what God told him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Not my strengths, not the position that I used to have or the knowledge that I have, but I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. This is countercultural. This is revolutionary. How many of you, when you were sitting around a bunch of uh, your friends or work buddies or, or classmates, would go up and be like, hey man, I really messed up the other day. I want to tell you how bad of a mess up that was. Man, that was awesome. We don't boast about our weaknesses, do we? We don't want anyone to know that we messed up. We'll boast about our strengths, our successes. We'll even maybe lie about those and embellish those to make us look better. But when it comes to our weaknesses... We don't want anyone to know. And here is Paul saying, I could boast about all of that. I had all of it. But if I boast about that, then you'll think about how great I am. And I don't want you to think about how great I am. I want you to think about how great Christ is. So let me tell you about my weaknesses. Let me tell you about the times where I messed up, the times where I didn't have enough, the times where I was weak, where I was broken. Man, those were awesome times. In fact, I delight those. In fact, when, when those happen now, I get a, kind of get excited in the midst of my suffering because I know that God's going to show up and I know that his power is going to make my weakness perfect and I will become strong. This is the revolution. In God's kingdom, it is different than the world. God loves to work through the weak. Think about it. God loves it when the odds are stacked against him. In one of my favorite books of the Bible, Judges, we hear about a guy named Gideon who God raises up to save, to be the savior of Israel. And you have the Philistines coming in and an army of 135,000 ready to attack and has the Israelites surrounded. And Gideon raises up an army of 30,000. Man, not good odds. 135,000 to 30,000. You know what God said? It's like getting, whoa, you have way too many, way too many soldiers. You, people might look at your victory and say, hey, you just got lucky there. That's some good tactical advantage there. We need to whittle this down. And he whittles it down twice to how many? 300. Verse 135,000. Not only that, then he said, all right, take those 300 and the weapons you're going to give them, I want you to give them a torch and a clay jar. And I want you to hide the light of that torch under the jars and the 300 will go and you'll advance on the army and then when I tell you to, you're going to break the jars and you're going to shout. He didn't give them swords. He didn't give them any, you know, fancy weapons or anything like that. He just said, your weapons are going to be my light and my praise. And wouldn't you know it, they won. Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. I mean, it's all over Scripture. You have David and Goliath. Someone too young, too small against someone too powerful and too tall. Stones against a sword, right? You have the walls of Jericho that no one could reach. And God says, go at them with trumpets and with, with a shout. You have Elijah taking on 400 prophets of Baal. You have Paul and Silas beaten and in chains and imprisoned. And what do they do? They worshiped in their weakness and the chains fell off and the prison doors opened. It's all over Scripture. God loves to use the weak things of this world 
In fact, in 1 Corinthians it says, Consider this the time of your calling. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful or were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to, to shame the strong. I want you to hear this here. God's kingdom is not hindered by your weaknesses. In fact, that's what he wants to use. God's kingdom is not hindered by your weaknesses. It's what he wants to use. I don't know how many times I have asked people to volunteer for student ministries over the time that I've been here. I can almost count on the same response, though, from almost everybody. And they say, well, I don't, I don't have the gifts to do that. I'm not talented enough to do that. I don't know enough Bible to do that. And I hear that response coming, and again, it's a response out of wanting to have strength. They're like, I'm not strong in that area. That's not where I should serve. And I just kind of smile and nod and laugh, and I said, that's, that's fine, but that's not what I'm looking for. Are you willing to just give your life, your life over to Christ in this area for the sake of the youth? All that stuff will take care of itself, but are you willing to just say, hey, you know what, I'm not good enough, but I'm here to serve, and I'm willing to let God use my gifts, my offering. And it's amazing to see what God does when those people will, will be brave enough and like, in their weakness say, yes, I'm willing to go spend time with a bunch of high schoolers. Think about God using the weak and the small to shame the wise and the powerful. Remember the this, this story where Jesus was preaching out in the wilderness and everyone was hungry? 5,000 men plus women and children. And they didn't have any food and the disciples were like, we don't have the money for this. We don't have a place to feed them. We don't have the strength to do this, Jesus. And a little boy came up to Jesus and said, hey, I got my lunch here. Five loaves, two fish, right? And Jesus took that and did a miracle, right? Out of the weakness that was there, the offering, this is all that I have. It might not be enough. In fact, I know it's not enough to feed this massive crowd, but I'm here, I'm willing to give it to you. And what did Jesus do? Everyone had their fill and had leftovers. Jesus doesn't want your strength as much as he wants your weaknesses. And I'll get into why in just a second. God wants to, to give ourselves over to him completely. Our strengths, our weaknesses. When I give over my strengths and my weaknesses, but especially my weaknesses, God shines through. I might be really a really talented speaker, which I'm not. But if I was, you could, you could look at me on a Sunday morning like, man, he is just so good. But I'm not. If you get anything from this, it's from my weakness where God comes in and says, hey, I'm going to take this stuff that Michael's doing and I'm going to do something with it. In fact, I am really good at math and science. In school, that's what I love to do, math and science. And what did God say? I'm going to call you into a profession where you read and write. And that is what I did not like to do and I was not good at. Joke's on me, Right? But that means that every day I get up and say, God, I don't have the ability to do this. I need you to come and do it through me. This revolutionary kingdom 
This revolution really is an army of Christians who lay down our swords and we drop to our knees in prayer. Who in the midst of overwhelming odds and when the things of this world surround us, what, would, what do we do? We raise our hands and worship and we cry out praises to our God. And when we are offended and we are hurt, instead of revenge, we turn the other cheek and we go the extra mile. This revolutionary kingdom is made up of Christians who speak the language of forgiveness and our hands seek to give abundantly rather than seek out what they can take. It is countercultural. It is not the way the world does it. The world doesn't understand it. How do we live through our weaknesses and have so much power to influence, to affect, to change the world, to transform the world for good? I want to talk a little bit about this power. When Paul, when Paul says that my weakness or God's power is made perfect in my weakness and when I'm weak, I am strong. It's a paradox. How does this work? What is this power? Scripture tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside of us. That Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And Jesus even said, you will do even greater things than I ever did. This is power. In Matthew 17, Jesus says, um, he's talking to his disciples, he says, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. I've always loved this verse. I'm like, man, look at that kind of power. And if you can picture me as a kid, think of Star Wars again, I'm, I picture myself, okay, there's a mountain over here, I'm going to use the force, and I'm going to move the force of my faith, and I'm going to move the, physically move this mountain, pick it up, and throw it over there. Throw it at the bad guys, right? That's, as a little kid, that's what I was thinking when I read this. I don't know if anyone else thought about that. But I want you to kind of get maybe what Jesus was talking about here, because in Jesus' time, the term mountain was, a, was actually a phrase used to represent authority or power. So when Jesus was saying, you can pick up this mountain and move it over here, tell it to go over there and it'll move, he's not talking necessarily about a physical mountain, although I don't think that's out of the realm of God's power, right? I think he could do that. But what the disciples were heard is, you can tell this authority over here, this principality, this structure that is evil, that, it, that, needs to, that needs to be broken, you can tell this power or this mountain to move and get out of your way and it will. That there is not a structure or system or authority or a person in authority or power that can stand against the faith in Jesus Christ when we offer up our weakness. Now let me give you one more way that you can look at that scripture verse. That was a phrase used oftentimes. In fact, disciples, when they were following rabbis and when rabbis would get into a, an argument, they would typically say, hey, my, my mountain will crush your mountain. My rabbi will defeat your rabbi. My mountain will crush your mountain. So it's a term that they would use to their rabbis. 
that they would follow. So was Jesus saying here, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this rabbi, to me, to go over there, and I would go over there. You want me over here? I'll go over here. Where do you need me? Where do you need my grace, my power? I'm coming, and we're going to do big things. That faith isn't in your strength, but in offering up your whole self, especially your weaknesses, to God. And when you let God have influence in your life, then you can begin to influence God in the lives of others. Now, I want you to understand something here. The power that we're talking about is not your power. It's not your power. It's God's power. And I think this is why God uses our weaknesses rather than our strengths. He does use our strengths. Don't get me wrong. But here's the thing. Like I said before, if I use my strength, someone can look at me and say, Michael did that. But if something happens out of my weakness that I did not have the ability to do, they won't say Michael did that. They'll say God did that. And here's the thing, friends. The world doesn't need me to save them. I can't save them. My friends don't need me to save them. I can't save them. What they need is Jesus. And so the, the less of me they see and the more of Jesus they see, that is what should happen. I don't need my strengths getting in the way. I would rather use my weaknesses to let God show up and be seen. Does that make sense? It's not that God is vain and wants himself to be seen. It's he knows that he is the one who has the power to save, to break through, to heal, to restore, to forgive, to raise from the dead. I don't have that power. I don't want to be seen. So friends, Guess what? We're superheroes. We're superheroes. I don't know if you know this or not. We are Jesus' sidekick. We're Robin to his Batman. It is not our power. We are reflecting him. But if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, guess what? You have a new identity. But this one shouldn't be hidden behind a mask or a cape or a costume. It's a light that should not be covered in a bowl. And you have a power with you that can transform the world. And just in case there's some people out here that need to hear this. You're like, yeah, that's all well and good, but I've, me I've messed up way too often. God uses weaknesses, but he can't use my weaknesses. It is I'm too far gone. And my message to you, friends, is this. His grace is sufficient even for you. It was sufficient for me and it's sufficient for you. There's no weakness or failure or mistake or rebellion that you've had that is so great that God's grace won't cover you. And when you surrender, as Ray Owens talked to us about last week, in the kingdom, in God's revolutionary kingdom, it's about surrendering. And if you surrender to Jesus, he will wash it all away. He will give you a new name and he will make your weaknesses shine with his power. And he will bring you life to you and to those around you. And guess what? The world needs you. All of us, friends. 
Too often I wonder if I have been a superhero that has kept the costume in the closet, so to speak. Too afraid to go out there and fight the good fight. People might see that I'm a Jesus freak, right? They might look at me and see my weaknesses and discount me. Again, God loves to use the weak and the the lame, the sick. He loves to use the too young and the too old, those who are not smart enough, strong enough, talented enough. He loves to do it. What is a weakness that you've been hiding, that you've been running from, that you've been trying to cover up? You don't want your spouse to see it or your kids to see it, your coworkers to see it, your boss to see it, your pastor to see it. Something that you're like, God, God won't use this. I need to show him my strengths instead. I want to plead with you this morning to give that weakness over to God and let his power change everything in you and use it for the world around you. As I close, let me just say this. We live in a world that desperately wants heroes. Desperately wants heroes. But the world really needs is Jesus because he rose. And his grace is sufficient for you and for me, for our family, for our neighbors, for our classmates, our coworkers, our friends, and yes, even our enemies. And if we are willing to trust, to submit, to lean on God in our weaknesses, in our brokenness, in our struggles, if we lean on God and, and praise him when we are outgunned, outmanned, and surrounded, when we fall on our knees in prayer, when the enemy brings swords, and God's power is unleashed in this world. If you are willing to be weak, to be broken, to be afraid, to be alone, so that others might see the risen Christ through you, that is the revolutionary kingdom. It is hard, extraordinarily hard sometimes, and sometimes we just forget to do it. So friends, this is a reminder that we are supposed to be countercultural. And when it is hard, Jesus is our example, right? Isn't he? Of how God's power moves through weakness. Jesus had, right before he was crucified, had a conversation with Pilate as Pilate was judging him. And Pilate reminded him that, don't you know who I am? I have the power of life and death over you. And Jesus' response was this, you don't have any power over me. But I'm going to let you do to me what you do. And Jesus allowed himself to be beaten his body to be broken, to be nailed to a cross, his blood shed. And in that moment of ultimate weakness where he left his godly powers behind and let his life be taken from him. You have what I consider the first post-credit scene where all of a sudden the stone rolled away. Jesus got up and walked. As I walked out of that tomb, death was defeated, sin was conquered. And his grace now is sufficient for all. At your seat, you'll find...